Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum, the host of Memphis Metropolis. And this week, we're talking about the trolley system, in particular, some exciting developments along Madison Avenue. And with me, I've got two guests, John Lancaster, who is the Chief Development Officer at MATA, and Joel Cox, who's the Rail Quality Assurance Manager at MATA. So welcome, both of you. Thank you, Emily. Thanks, Emily. Good to be here. So, John, let's just re- remind every. Let's. Do, I don't want to go completely into the history of the trolley, but let's just kind of remind everybody. You know, there where the three trolley lines are generally, um, and although they're not all running right now, and um, and then you know, maybe a little bit about why, you know, service has been suspended on a couple of them for a while and maybe why that, um, why that happened. So just tell us where the three lines are just because, you know, people might not remember, honestly, because some of them haven't been running for a while. Sure, Emily. Uh, We'll start here with the Main Street line. That was the first one. It was built and opened in 1993. It starts, uh, in the Pinch District up by the Hudson Transit Center, and it goes south through downtown to Central Station. Uh, it's about two miles down the, right through the heart of the city. Uh, the Riverfront Line was the second line, and it operates in a counter counterclockwise direction. Uh, we start again up on the north end <clears throat> by the Pyramid, and it goes south along the Riverfront, back down to the uh, Central Station and then North again, and that one opened in 1997. And then the last one was the Madison Avenue line, and it runs east-west. Uh, again, kind of the starting point is at Maine and Madison, right in the heart or the core of the downtown, and it runs east for just a little over two miles out to uh, Claybrook and Cleveland Avenue. Um, and again, it was opened in 2004, and uh, operated to about 2014 when we uh, had some uh, had some problems. <laughs> so the the what the main street line is the only one that's running right now. Is that correct? Yes, that is the only one that we returned to service so far. Okay, so so remind me why the the trolleys were all offline for a while. You you mentioned. Um, was there a fire um, or a series of fires? I can't, it's been a several years, as you said, just um, why did that happen? Well, back in about 2014, that's when we had some controller fires. And the controller, when you're operating the trolley, it's where the operator, in a way, it's like the handle that you give it the gas. Of course, it's electricity, but it's kind of a rectangular box. And it has a lot of little metal parts in there that as you push the handle forward, it makes more contacts. They're actually called contactors. And uh, this is what gives it more electricity and makes it go. Uh, Well, these are very, very old. And some of these trolleys have had problems even in the old days. Uh, It takes a very meticulous maintenance program to keep all of those things operating properly. And it 
carbon builds up on them. And so anyway, you can get a spark, which causes a flashover. And what happened in our case is always there's several safety backup programs and we had multiple things to fail. And in that case, we actually, and uh, it, the fire got out of hand and one of them, they were on the uh, overpass over I-240. It was a windy day and we actually had a complete trolley burn up. And uh, oh, wow. And when after that happened, uh, we actually shut, we, we had two fires, one early in the spring and one in the summer. And then we actually shut the whole system down out of safety concerns. Um, so that was that was what precipitated all of this. And again, it's several different systems failed. And as we got to digging into what caused each system to fail, you know, we just kind of opened one more can of worms and another one. And the Federal Transit Administration really got involved and we got all of the safety people and experts. And I don't know how far we'll go down this path, but it's been a long, long road that we got the Madison, I mean, Main Street back online. And I think that was 2018. Okay. Service back well, again. Well, so, um, and the the Madison, I mean, the Main Street, you have the historic trolleys or historic style trolleys um, back on that. But one of the reasons I invited you on is because I'm I'm just really excited. You know, people have been waiting for the Madison line to come back and, um, and you're testing some new, you're, you know, testing that line right now. And, but it's some different kinds of, um, some different kinds of trolleys. So Joel, what's the, what's the, what are these new vehicles? Where did they come from? And um, why are they potentially better than the, than the trolleys we've had? Sure. Um, well, they, the, the car we're testing now is called a Siemens Duwag U2. Now I could, it's, it's a German car. And so I could be butchering German there. It wouldn't be the first time. So, uh, but it's, it's, it was a car built in Germany first for use in Frankfurt, Germany. And it, the, this design was built from 1968, I think until 1990 or so the car that we, uh, that we have procured for this testing was built, I, I believe, in the late 80s, 1988 or 1989. And uh, from, it, as happens with a lot of uh, streetcar vehicles, um, uh, it, 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 it spread from Germany. They sold this, Siemens sold cars to systems in, a couple of systems in Canada and also to San Diego. And as, as, they, as those systems are retiring that fleet, these cars are finding a second life in um, in cities like Memphis and other places around the world, um, they're I, I I wouldn't say they're better per se. Um, they are more modern. I, I think it's the difference between a car, a classic car from the late 1920s, which is what like a classic automobile from the late 1920s, which is what our a lot of our heritage trolleys are, versus a a car that was designed and built in the 19, say the 1970s or 80s. And they're both kind of classics in a way, but there's going to be a big technological difference. The U2 car does have more um, amenities than the classic, than our, than our heritage vehicles. They have air conditioning and heating. Our, our trolleys have heating, but they have also have air conditioning. They have electronic controls as opposed to those more analog uh, sort of electric controls that John was describing. And they've got 
they're, they're built of you know, steel and fiberglass as opposed to steel and wood, and they're made with fire-resistant materials. They have more modern safety equipment that's not really practical on our trolleys. Things like, you know, sensitive door edges so that the doors don't, uh, it, 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 on the on our on our um, heritage trolleys, um, then there's a system that just if the doors don't close, it keeps the trolley from going. But it, you know, there's that if you ever go on a subway, in yep. you know it, there's that feature where the doors pop back up if something gets in the way. So it, it's features like that, and um, yeah. So um, and I don't want to spend too much time working in this. Well, when you mentioned amenities, will it work with the app? Does it have the technology? You, that I mean, people might not know. People might listening may not have have might not ride the bus that much, but you know, Mata has an app now that tells you you know how long you can expect to wait for the bus and at your particular stop and the schedules. It's all kind of on your phone. Will this? Will this? Um, will these trains have the ability to connect to that eventually if they're implemented? Yes, and John can John can correct me on this if I'm if I'm wrong, but if we do. And I should clarify, this This is a candidate vehicle. We haven't, part, the point of the testing we're doing now is to decide whether these are a good fit. But right. we, 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 would re, we would retrofit them with that new fare system that where you can, I, I would I would think we would do that, yes. And John John may be in a better John, position to say that. do you want that. to add something to that? Yeah, yeah, and we definitely would. And then this is part of what we call a, Mary, get your bell ready. I'll try to find it. We call it CAD ABL system that's computer aided. All right. <laughs> automatic jargon bell location. Uh, uh, ABL uh, uh, automated vehicle location system. But we we our goal is we we put that on every vehicle that we own. And so now with our new with the Go Down One app, it actually you can link to the Mattis website. And it's got a tracker in there where you can track every single fixed route vehicle. So all of our buses, all of our trolleys and this new Utah two car, if we if it successfully goes through all the testing process and goes into the fleet and what we call revenue service, we would install that equipment on it. And so today it, it is really great. You can go look in there and you can see exactly where that vehicle is in real time every bus on every route and it actually also shows you the occupancy how many people are on that vehicle or it gives it as a percentage so you can see if it's 20 percent full if it's 90 percent full so we've really done a lot of improvements on the technology side yeah the app i've used the app it is incredibly useful so um so kudos for that so joel is this i mean maybe this is an obvious question but um this these cars that we're testing out run on the same kind of the same size track that we have mm -hmm. and use the same kind of so they're completely compatible from that perspective well that's a great question and that's exactly what this this preliminary phase of testing is trying to determine they certainly do run on the same track gauge which is to say this the same track width we we had the wheels reprofiled to integrate properly with the kind of rail that we have here and um, and yes, theoretically, they also the amount of power they draw should be within the limits of our power capacity. Um, but there are, there are other questions about fit and about compatibility, and and I think compatibility is actually a great way to describe what we're tr trying to determine with this phase of testing. Even testing is a little bit more as a term is a bit more advanced than what we're doing now. We're doing compatibility assessments. 
um, things like does the, how well does the um, does it interface with our stations, and also questions like power draw. Does if we had if we were to have uh, multiple of these cars drawing drawing power from our system at one time, would we be able to accommodate that 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 power draw? So well, these, sure these that- are the kinds of compatibility questions we're answering. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of nuances like platform height and all kinds of things you need to be looking at um, to make sure that they fit with our infrastructure. Exactly. So, how long is the pilot? Is the how long is the pilot going for? Um, is it on the riverfront loop also, or is it just on Madison? It's just on Madison. Uh, that, this that's uh, and again, John can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe. It, the original plan going going back to the early 2000s for the Madison line was to have a modern streetcar. And for whatever reason, we we deferred back to the heritage streetcars then. But so so really, Madison, the scale of the stations, uh, which are longer, um, are, they, they were I think they were designed to accommodate a modern car. We have a we this is a different topic of conversation. We have a different vehicle plan for expanding to Riverfront, which involves um, or, or uh, heritage trolleys or replica trolleys as well. Well, I think that just, you know, that's, I, I think so many tourists ride that and people do love the look of the the old fashioned trolley for sure. From a tourism perspective, I can see why that's appealing. So, and the pilot is going to, or your, your assessment, I guess it's mm-hmm. not a pilot, it's an assessment is going for a couple of months. Yes, there's. Um, we won't be running the U2 car continuously over that period. Right now, we are. Yeah, the Madison infrastructure has been dormant since it was shut down in 2015. So right now, we are. We have done some running tests of the car just along this along the little section of Main Street in front of our trolley facility on North Main that we use as our test track. We are preparing the infrastructure on the Madison line to accommodate. A series of um, compatibility tests over the, over the course of a few days. Those are scheduled right now for early May. Um, and John, maybe this is a question for you. If I mean, if if the, if it's compatible, and we we you know, Matta decides it wants to you know purchase a fleet of these. How long could it be before service starts? I mean, obviously, I know you don't want to commit anything. And also, we know in the transportation world, everything takes forever. <laughs> but having said that, I mean, would it be like once the pilot ends, would it be like another year before trolley service starts? Or would it, could it potentially be shorter? Well, again, I'll try to qualify it and explain this again. And Joel is exactly right about the Madison line. It was designed for modern streetcars like this car. The Cat I did not know that. Right. And the, the platforms, the length of the platforms. But if you notice, the, the platforms are really long, but the canopies are very short. And we designed the canopies just for the 45, 50 foot Melbourne vintage vehicles that we were operating. And that all went back to cost. At those times, modern light rail vehicles back 15 years ago and today, they still are multiple million dollars, and we simply could not afford them. But getting these old retired vehicles, they're very inexpensive. So that's kind of how we're uh, incorporating the system. And as far as the timeline, getting the vehicles rehabilitated is one of our longest lead items. 
most of the track work and things, we could get that back in order relatively quickly. Uh, but it takes two or years or longer pretty much to get a lot of these vehicles rebuilt. And that's with the old vintage ones that are over 100 years old. Now, the modern ones may be quicker. We really don't have a timeline yet from some of the manufacturers. So like this car 1035 that we're testing now, it might be able to be a little bit quicker, but it's still got upgrades and things we've got to look at and do. If we do, you know, we do some reconstruction on the stations, lengthening the, the canopies, things like that, that's going to take some time. But uh, but again, the, the problem is there's hardly any vendors out there that rebuild streetcars just because in North America, uh, there's not a rehabilitation process. Usually the agencies do them, but they buy their cars new. Uh, but at four to five million dollars a vehicle, uh, again, our, our budget, we just cannot afford these. But by picking up these retired vehicles like this that are out of service, we're getting them for pennies on the dollar. And then where we do have to spend the money is whatever the amount it takes to get it back into putting in revenue service. And there's still a lot of upgrades that we need to do these old older vehicles, just like I was explaining on the uh, the location system. Okay. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm talking to John Lancaster and Joel Cox from MATA, and we're talking about um, the possible return of trolleys on Madison Avenue. So, but it doesn't sound like if it's only going to be on, and maybe this is, you know, too much in the weeds, but if it's only going to be on Madison and you're not going to use these cars, you you probably wouldn't really need that many, would you? I mean, um, I mean, it wouldn't be a ton. doesn't seem like it would be a ton of trolleys you'd need to purchase. Right. I don't know. I don't know what a, a ton is. I'm, I'm, I'm talking like I'm knowledgeable about this and I'm really not, but just thinking about the expense. Well, it, it would, it would take about five right now with the length on Madison. If just to run on Madison to get like 10 minute headways, it would take five vehicles. And that's what we ran in the, in the prior years. And then you always have to have a couple of spares. So, uh, and I think we've actually got the possibility of getting, having up to eight of these modern light rail vehicles. Okay, that sounds great. So the, um, I mean, I think people are really excited to see this service coming back. But having said that, I think the perception is that the Madison Avenue service wasn't all that well patronized um, first time around, except for on special events and things where people were worried about parking. Um, I personally think that... Um, you know, would do better this time, but just wondering what your thoughts are, either one of you, like what, what's going to be different this, what is different, what's going to be different this time that you think, um, in addition to the more modern cars, that will make the surface popular? Well, I was going to say, you know, the original intent of the whole system, the uh, Madison line was supposed to be the first leg of a really regional system. And so a lot of our ridership problems goes back to it. You know, it really doesn't go far enough. It's just not a long enough trip. So that's part of it. And then, of course, years ago, uh, the medical center, it, it, you, you're very contained. People that come to the hospitals, they didn't really have a lot of other places to go. And then it's uh, again, you have a lot of parking and not a lot of other activities. 
Um, and still today, that's really going through a redevelopment process, which we see in the medical center and especially bringing more housing, uh, more people living there. And if you expand the uh, number of residents, people that live in that in that area, they'd be more likely to use it. So like there's a development there at the Orleans station right there by UT's campus. So, you know, I think that will help generate some more ridership, people, you know, commuting downtown, so on and so forth. It was such a individualized service. I think that restricted some of the ridership. And like you said, some people might park and ride and go downtown. But those are, I think, the two big factors that's why it hasn't been as successful from a ridership perspective. I agree. I think, I mean, there's there's definitely been, in addition to what's going on in the, in the medical district, which is significant, there's a lot of smaller changes. Like, for example, there's more, um, there's fewer places to find free parking downtown. You know, it used to be you could always find free parking. Now, that's not as much the case. There's meters everywhere and there's more development. There's fewer surface parking lots downtown. Also, you know, there's the Medical District Collaborative has partnered with MATA already on some transportation initiatives, and it seems like expanding that partnership um, would deliver some dividends to this new, you know, to this new, the, the trolley system that's coming back, don't you think? Oh, I totally agree. And again, the development is the key, and, and parking costs are, are another issue, and as Gary, our chief executive officer, likes to say, you know, when you really look at a vibrant downtown and a vibrant city, the parking costs are going to be much more expensive. That's a sign of success, so to speak. And uh, like I say, I think as things we emerge here from the pandemic with all the things happening in St. Jude and even along Union Avenue, you're just going to have a lot more activity and more events, success of the Grizzlies, everything. You know, I think it'll it's kind of a synergistic effect. And so, you know, we, we see it only improving. And of course, another thing, when you invest in mass transit, you're really looking at that economic development, the return on investment of being able to increase your densities, that brings more money back into the city. And of course, if you've seen along Madison, you know, the pinch district before the trolley line and South Main, same thing. Um, Matter, we can't take all the credit, but yet still the, innovation, bringing the investment into those corridors and giving another form of transportation allows for more dense development and uh, puts more properties back on the tax payroll, which is uh, good for the city. Joel, anything you want to add to the question about, um, and it sounds like you were not with MATA when the, in 2014, but anything you want to add to the discussion about why you think it'll be a more popular service this time around? Sure. And John has a planner's eye view and an executive's eye view of the economic landscape of that area that I that I don't have. I'm <clears throat> I spend my days um, at, sort of at the ground level with the trolley. But what I, what I can say from the, the, the people who asked me about it and before, before we um, before we got Main Street started again, I, if, if I was ever walking up and down the line, business, uh, businesses would stop me. Uh, owners of businesses would stop me and say, when are we going to get the trolleys back on Main Street? Because they had this, they, they really appreciated the amount of business it brought. And when when people ask me about the Madison line, it tends to be the same people, people I know who are in business on Madison and who are really eager to get that traffic back. And I, it, I would, I, I think there has also been maybe more small business development along some sections 
of that line than there was before. And I imagine for sure, like in the edge, in the edge district lots. Yeah. Especially in the edge district. That's right. And so, um, yeah. So I, I think, I think a lot of the eagerness to get the trolley back is for, is for, at least from my experience with people asking me, in addition to just Memphians who love the trolley, which is a good situation to be in. That's not the case everywhere, but it's, it's, it's really, we're really fortunate at MATA that the public has a lot of fondness for our, streetcar service. So the, I think, you know, MATA has made, you know, huge strides over the last several years um, because of technology and, you know, operational decisions to make the buses really on a regular schedule. And, you know, you know, the bus will, whatever the schedule is, if it's every 20 minutes or something, people are a lot more confident now that the bus is actually going to come when it's, when it's supposed to. And I do think that, you know, that situation, you know, plagued that trolley service a little bit um, because you never knew how long and then you're waiting and then you're like, oh, I should have just walked. It would have been quicker. And I mean, everyone has that experience. So so I'm guessing that I, I mean, we sort of talked about this earlier, but I guess with the new technology and everything, this will allow people will have confidence that the trolley leaves the station at 530, for example. Yeah, you're exactly right, Emily. And I will say, kind of like the whole trolley system, Mata's really been undergoing somewhat of a transformation from the inside out. We've really struggled, I think, with in the past because of our lack of local funding. I put in that plug there because we, a lot of the funding is what led to our problems with the shutdown. We just did not have enough skilled maintenance people with proper training to maintain all of the equipment and assets. And that's what led to the fires that shut the system down. And as we went through all of this recertification, I mean, safety is number one. And we've got a great safety team now. And we've got a lot of people. We brought in a lot of talent. And we've, uh, uh, Frank, our director of trolley operations and maintenance, he's from Salzburg, Austria. Uh, Tim Borchers, that worked on the system as a consultant, from Australia. Uh, Gord McEwitt was from Canada, and we've got Carl that comes from San Francisco and Muni. So we've got worldwide talent that has really helped us restore the, the, the trolley system. And it's kind of, like I say, and our safety and security officer, Ron, is from Boston. So we've really got a lot of good people that really have great qualifications. And even like Joel, Joel's background, he's an education, he's a teacher. And he's been a huge asset for us from the training aspect and just having all of that knowledge of how to convey information, documentation. Joel was an integral part in all of our documentation with our new safety and certification program, which got the system back up and running. So, again, it's like a big cycle. you got to have proper funding and you got to have proper people with the proper skills in the right places. And so we've kind of been rebuilding the whole MATA team, so to speak, over the last few years. Well, that's great because you do need people that have experience working in cities where people use transit and where they have trolleys and um, which, you know, if you've traveled outside the U.S. any, I mean, you know, a lot of places have very robust trolley and streetcar systems, you know, cities around the world. So, so last question, um, the, so, you know, John, people always want the trolley to go farther and, you know, 
certain cohort would love to see the trolley go to Overton Square and maybe even down to Cooper Young. I mean, and I know that's been studied. I think I helped out on one of those studies years ago to look at sort of what a, a light rail system on that route going to the airport would look like. But um, is setting aside the airport, but just connecting some of these other sort of urban neighborhoods, is that something that's a really a realistic that really might happen or because the cost is so expensive to build this infrastructure. Is that just a pipe dream <laughs> of mine? Well, again, it all comes back to funding. You've got to have the proper funding to fund the system. And that's been our downfall with our original, original regional rail program. It was really a great planning involved, but the city just does not have the local matching funds as it exists today is all big cities that the difference between, I call it the haves and the have nots in the transit world at who has a local dedicated funding source. You look at St. Louis, at Dallas, Atlanta, every big agency and even Indianapolis, who is a really good peer, who, who now has a very good dedicated funding source, then it becomes a reality. And you do have to kind of take some baby steps and build your bus system and get a really good bus network in place that really can feed more like a high density line. And it takes density to really make rail work. And that's something with the new transit or development study the city did for the BRT line, we're really starting to add some density in some of these corridors. So, I mean, it is a possibility, but I think we're not quite there yet, but we still need to be planning for it. And like you said, the alternatives analysis study that you probably participated in, we looked at like 23 different alternatives. Uh, one of the alternatives did go from from uh, downtown out through the uh, Cooper Young to the fairgrounds. And of course, now you've got all that redevelopment at the fairgrounds, which is makes it a good point to maybe get to. Uh, but again, it's very, very expensive. And uh, the one thing, too, I need to throw out is like with the U2 cars, we really have to expand or our existing trolley maintenance facility. And that's probably something that will take longer, like the renovation of the cars. So those are costly items uh, to, to fund, uh, but it's not impossible, but we really need to find a local dedicated funding source to be. And again, it's leveraging federal funds. The federal funds is usually there, but you've got to have the local matching money to match the capital dollars to build it. And then you got to have the local operating funds to operate the system. Well, that is a challenge for sure. I feel like the local funding landscape has improved a little bit, but as you said, really we need a local funding, a recurring local funding source for transit. And for people that don't really know what that means, it means, you know, a penny out of every you know, every dollar spent on something, like for example, a gas tax, like a penny out of that goes into a pot for transit. And so you've got the, the, the amount you get every year is gonna might vary some, but you're always gonna have, there's always gonna be a flow of money. And then that money can be used because a lot of these federal, as you said, the federal, there's a, there's a, when federal government gives you money for transportation, almost always local government has to kick in some. And so if you don't have if you don't have that money to kick in, then the federal money is going to somebody else, right? Exactly. <laughs> 
than so, um, going to those big cities that I just named. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, and we need that. I mean, it's it's um, it's something important, and so everyone who's listening needs to talk to their elected officials, their local elected officials in particular, and and talk about how excited they are about the trolley coming back and then um and then how we need a local funding source. So one more thing to lobby about that that we really need as a community. So so anything I haven't asked you about the trolley system or um that that you wanna that I haven't asked you about that I should have. Nothing comes nothing comes immediately to mind. I would just say come ride the trolley. <laughs> I was I was downtown on a date a date night with my five year old daughter about a month ago. We parked on North Main Street and took the trolley down all the way down south and had barbecue at Central Barbecue by the Civil Rights Museum and it was an event. And we're locals and I, I know you said that and, and we certainly agree that uh, there's a lot of tourist traffic on the on the the trolleys that they're very they're symbolic of Memphis, which is great. But you can also be a tourist in your own hometown and come see us. It's a really fun experience. It's tactile. It's fun. The trolleys are charming, and kids love them. I love them. So come come ride the trolley. It's on Main Street. Yeah, when I was in graduate school, I one of my stu- one of my fellow students had a young had young children and they wanted to ride the trolley every weekend. But of course it was easy. I mean, it was cheap Yeah, and it was, it it was cheap and yeah. it was, and, and it was easy. And so every weekend they, they went down and rode the trolley yeah. because the kids loved it. It's so, cheap. uh, yeah. yeah, it's a great idea. Does it still cost a dollar to ride? I believe yep. so. Unless it's, yeah, yep. yeah it still costs a dollar. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Right now everything's a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's <laughs> most of our services. The, well, the price is right. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. And I've been talking to John Lancaster and Joel Cox, who are with MATA. We've been talking about the uh, new developments on the Madison Avenue line that hopefully will lead to new service on that line. So, John and Joel, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Emily. It's been a pleasure. and Maybe have us back sometime. We've always got more to talk about, too. Some of these other new technologies. And- okay, for sure. Thanks, Definitely. Emily. You're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at WYXR.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. We're a brand new station lifting up everything Memphis, and we need your support. But don't go away. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Orion believes communities work best when they work together. They have been a trusted financial partner in our community for more than 60 years and are committed to giving back in the neighborhoods they serve. You can see how they're redefining banking at orionfcu.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the second part of Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm talking to our regular commentator, Charlie Santo, who heads up the City and Regional Planning Department at University of Memphis. And welcome back, Charlie. Thank you, Emily. It's always good to be here. And so the topic this in this show is something that's 
near and dear to my heart, which is the Mata is, you know, testing out some new trolley service on the Madison Avenue line, which has been dormant forever. And I'm excited about that for a variety of reasons. The first half of the show I had on John Lancaster and Joel Cox from Mata and so, Charlie, one of the things I think we've talked about before is that Memphis at one time, like probably a lot of cities in the U.S., if not most, had a very robust streetcar system. And really, there's some really interesting old maps. I'll try to put a map in the show notes for the podcast version of this. But like, just as only one example, the streetcar used to go along Chelsea and serve all of those neighborhoods, you know, Douglas, Hollywood Hyde Park, and which were kind of suburbs, sub suburbs at the time. And so people who lived in those neighborhoods could just ride downtown for work and did. And of course, those that's that line went would would have gone through, you know, Vecca and the Evergreen area. But that's just one of many streetcar lines. Yeah, I think people probably a lot of people don't realize just how extensive the streetcar system was in Memphis and really the role that it played in the development of a lot of our neighborhoods. Uh, so that Madison line that is you know currently existing and, and hopefully coming back to life soon was one of those lines. But if you look at that map, in addition to Madison, the other west-east lines ran along Poplar, Jackson, Chelsea. There was a line down Lamar. There was a line on McLemore in Mississippi. And you think about the neighborhoods that exist in those areas now, and a lot of it, you know, the early development happened because of those connections to the street line. And, you know, the one thing I think is most interesting about the streetcar system is that it ran all the way out as far out as Raleigh. And at the, the reason it ran out to Raleigh is because Raleigh Springs, uh, way back when, was uh, kind of a spa resort area. Um, and so there was the Raleigh Inn, which was the fancy resort uh, and it developed out there because the, the there was natural spring water out there that was that developed this reputation for for curing all kinds of illnesses. Um, so people would go out there. Remember, this is the back when most Memphians were getting their drinking water from either muddy wells or, or cisterns. So clean water coming from a spring was something worthy of traveling to. Well, the last time you were on, we were talking yeah. about water quality and the history of the sewer system. So yeah. Uh, yeah, and so and the other interesting thing about the the streetcar system in Memphis and in, in most cities is that it, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a, a publicly owned uh, service when, when it started. So the line that ran out to Raleigh Springs was was um, put together, funded, built by the person that owns the Raleigh Inn Hotel to to get people out there, uh, and so it ran. Uh, it ran along Broad Avenue um, through Binghamton and then went up on National Street uh, and then headed off towards Raleigh. Um, and so a lot of that development around what is now Highland Heights happened early on because of that line, because there was a stop at, at National in summer. Um, so a lot of early development in, in, in a lot of neighborhoods in Memphis had to do with streetcars that were built by private uh, private individuals. Well, and we can't um, let this topic pass without giving a shout out to the Heights Line, because um, the Heights Line is a you know bike and pedestrian pathway that's being built along National, in spearheaded by the Heights CDC, and it's 
and it's um, going to run along this. It's ultimately going to connect the Hamp Line and the Wolf River Greenway, but it's on the same street where the streetcar used to run. There's a median in that, and that's the whole, you know, I feel like the Heights Line is built on that built in part on that whole history and hoping that the that the Heights Line development will trigger some of that same neighbor revitalization just like the original streetcar triggered the you know commercial and residential development in that area. Yeah, I mean and that would be that would be ideal. Uh, I think that's the ultimate goal. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see, you know, where the streetcars ran in Memphis and what remnants of them you can still see now. And so, you know, that you think about, I think the most obvious physical uh, remnants are the, where the curved intersections are at Cooper and Young, that big curve and at Overton Square at Madison and Cooper. You know, that's those are curved because that's where the streetcar made its turn. Um, so long history, uh, long gone, unfortunately. So, well, that's a great um segue. So, and this is, I always say, you know, put on your planning professor hat because um, this question might need that kind of special professorial expertise. Um, But let's talk for, let's talk a little bit about why streetcars, streetcars, trolleys, those kind of systems went away in the first place. They went away here, but they also went away across the U.S., and there's a really a combination of um, of reasons why that happened. Can you il- illuminate that a little bit, and then I'll probably chime in. Yeah, no, I definitely can, and I, and I it, I can because when I was in my doctoral program, um, Cy Adler, who's one of my professors, had just written a piece about uh, the mythology of the film Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, so I'll tell you how that fits in. <laughs> <laughs> so there, please do <laughs> because it is related. I don't know if anybody remembers that movie. It's like from the mid '80s, I think. Um, but there, in in this world of of planning, there's this sort of uh, urban legend around the death of the streetcar in the U.S. Uh, and maybe it's not even fair to call it an urban legend because it's just the, a, a thing that people believe. Um, the idea that the streetcar was killed by this consortium of automotive interests. So car manufacturers, tire manufacturers, gas companies, kind of all led by General Motors. Uh, and this evil cabal bought up the interest in a bunch of urban railways in a bunch of different cities and, and replaced the electric trolleys with diesel buses. Um, and so, and then these buses were, were inefficient and, and they replaced the healthy public transportation system with a system that people didn't like. And ultimately that, that paved the way for uh, automobile uh, to replace public transit. Uh, and so that actually plays out in part of the plot of the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit. There's a, a, a conspiracy to put the red car trolley system out of business to make way for freeways and automobiles. It's kind of a um, you know, twist on the old evil developer trope. Okay, well, I didn't remember that about the movie, but... but um... But then you touched on this. Well, what about the role that, you know, public policy and. Yeah, um, I mean, I think the the, the real version, uh, I mean, I, did, I think that those corporate interests did have something to do with it and they did buy up the tracks. But when by the time they started to buy up the tracks, uh, the streetcar system was already a lot of streetcar systems were already going bankrupt. And it has to do with policy and technology and, and gridlock and uh, city rules. Uh, so. The, the kind of the backstory is that, you know, we're talking about the late 1800s. The streetcar was really the dominant mode of transportation in a lot of cities. Uh, but like I said, these were private 
privately owned individual lines. Um, eventually, a lot of these private companies contracted with city governments for the explicit right to operate as a monopoly in that city. Uh, and to do that, they had to make all kinds of conditions. So significant conditions like they had to keep the fares constant at five cents. Uh, and the rail, the rail line operators had to maintain the pavement around their tracks. Um, so they had all those concessions. And then, well, the automobile appeared. Uh, and once the automobile appeared, they would drive. They could drive on the same, the same lanes, the same paths that the streetcars traveled on. And that pretty quickly caused chaos. It didn't take long for uh, streetcar operation to, to become inefficient because of that. It, you know, only um, 10% or, or so of people were driving. The tracks became so crowded that the streetcars couldn't make their schedule. And so you had them now, you know, not operating efficiently, not on schedule, uh, having to pay to pave the roads and kind of subsidizing automobile travel. Um, so they're losing business because of that, but they have to keep their fares at five cents. And so it just became untenable to run uh, these streetcar systems. And they just started going bankrupt. And, uh, you know, highways took over and automobiles took over. And that's where we are. Well, this is the, um, we don't have time to go and should go all the way into this other subject. But what I'm remembering also is that, is that, you know, around this time or, or a little bit later, the federal government, you know, subsidized, um, the cost for people to buy homes in suburban areas mm -hmm. through, you know, mortgage incentives. And so people started to move out of sort of what we're seeing as crowded. You can see I'm making air quotes, even <laughs> though nobody can see me crowded inner city conditions and moved out to, you know, build homes that the government incentivized. And those were places that the streetcar didn't go. Yeah. Because those homes that were, that could take advantage of those policies had to be single family homes. They couldn't be duplexes or, you know, apartment buildings downtown. So they had to be farther out and streetcar didn't run out there. Well, I think all of that is a shame because I think that, you know, if you travel outside the U.S., you know, many cities have streetcar systems. And of course, some, some U.S. cities, you know, New Orleans and Portland and a number of other cities. I mean, I mean, even not just subways, a lot of uh, a lot of that a lot. But some cities have streetcar systems that people use for transportation and commuting. And yeah. I would love to see that as expensive as it is for, and for the reasons John Lancaster described. Um, I'd love to see that kind of system come back if we have the density to support it. I don't. Yeah, know I mean, if, if you if you look at that map of the old Memphis streetcar system, if we had that today, you know, that'd be pretty sweet. Like that would be that would be sufficient for a lot of folks moving around. Definitely. Okay, so let's um, let's shift gears and talk for a minute about all the things that's happening in the medical district. I touched on this in my discussion with John and Joel, but I thought we could dig in a, a little bit because, I mean, really that line was not that, aside from people going to Memphis in May and the like, that line was really not that well utilized. Mm -hmm. But but that that medical district area, the Madison Corridor, not only has there has it already been transformed with all kinds of businesses, you know, new headquarters like Orion, you know, retail and restaurants in the edge. Uh, the medical district collaborative has invested a lot of money in, you know, facade improvements on Madison and some other areas. You know, Henry Turley is building 
a Henry Turley company is building a, a new mixed use housing development. Uh, there's just all kinds of stuff that I got to think is going to help that line. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, I've always thought about the the streetcar system, the modern streetcar system in Memphis as being something that catered mostly towards tourists. Uh, if you think about the Riverside and the Main Street line, you know, I think you can use those to move around if you're going to various meetings during the day. But um, I think the data indicated that was mostly tourists using it. And, and a lot of places you see the streetcar development um, for that purpose or, or to sort of drive real estate development. Uh, but I think that that Madison line now has an opportunity to be more about transportation than, than about tourism or about real estate development because of those, um, all of those de- developments that are happening in the medical district. Uh, and they're already doing a lot, the medical district collaborative, um, they're, they're using this, you know, lots of different small approaches to mobility. And they've got that whole mobility menu where you can go on and try to find um, shared bike stations or information about the MyCity Ride scooters or get suggested bike routes. And so now having that functioning streetcar line back up and running is just another way to move people around uh, within that corridor and, and, and into downtown. Well, and and I mentioned this in conjunction of downtown, but it's also true in the medical district, which is uh, parking is be- there's less parking available. I mean, I, I, mean I'm, I, I think this is a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I think for a long time, all those medical institutions, they all had their own giant service parking lots. You know, God forbid they could share a garage. And um, I'm simplifying, of course. Yeah. But having said that, some of that's going away. Some of those parking lots, you know, that's valuable real estate. People are building on those. And, you know, if you try to go over to, you know, the edge for lunch, I mean, you're driving around looking for a place. And if you were downtown, then it would make sense to take the trolley. I just feel like, I mean, what is it that the, the, the number one en- enemy of trans of successful transit is plentiful, plentiful free or cheap parking? <laughs> isn't that, isn't that a a planning yeah. thing. Yes, it is. Yeah. And if you want, next time I can I can dig even deeper in the professorial bag and we can talk about Henry George and the land value tax, <laughs> uh, how we can tax the parking lots into more better, higher uses. <laughs> well, I'm interested in that, but that might be even too much in the weeds for even the most dedicated Memphis Metropolis listeners. Perhaps. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to WYXR on 91.7 FM. And I'm talking to Charlie Santo about the possibility of new transit service, trolley service on Madison and and why streetcars went away and all kinds of transit-related topics. Anyway, I guess uh, you mentioned the partnership with the Medical District Collaborative. There's a, I think they're working on a some initiatives to... Um, some employer-based initiatives. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all kinds of things that could happen. I mean, employers could give incentives for employees to to take transit. And also the the medical district collaborative is has a you know has a live local program, which is eventually going to create more housing for people in the district, um, so people can live close to where they work. And also, there's a, you know a work local program, which is is ongoing, which is you know training people who live in that neighborhood to 
work in the hospitals and other businesses in the district. And to me, all of those things, I mean, you're talking about incremental changes, but all together with more apartments and with all those things together, I'm an, you know, I like to be optimistic because I'd love to see a new Madison Avenue line succeed. And so I'm trying, I'm optimistic that all these things together could, could contribute to uh, more demand on that line. No, I think you're right. I mean, and I'm a big fan of that approach. That's a, a, kind of a local self-reliance approach. Um, and yeah, I think if they're successful in getting more people to live in the districts, then you've got that density of ridership. And if those people have a need to go downtown, um, they've got an easy way to get there. Um, so yeah, you can definitely imagine more ridership, particularly now that we're, we're talking about having a grocery store downtown. So you know, you can live in the medical districts, take the trolley, the streetcar downtown, um, go get dinner, whatever, pick up some groceries and not have to drive. Well, you, well, you could, I mean, once the Madison Avenue, I mean, I visited that new grocery store in the South May area and you can, you could take the Madison Avenue line and change yeah. for that. And and part of it, and we talked a little bit about this, I think it's it's got to have regular frequency and it's got to be a predictable schedule. So if, if you want people to ride it for transportation instead of just to um, avoid Memphis and May parking. Yeah, that, that that's key. Frequency and, and predictability. So before we started recording this, Charlie, I did get the sense that you wanted to get up on a soapbox about something related to this project, Matta, and then this project in general. So <laughs> lay that lay that on. I wouldn't call it a soapbox. I was just when I was listening to the first half of the episode, I didn't realize that it had been that that line had been closed since 2014. Um, I thought, holy cow! I felt I didn't feel like it was that long ago uh, that we had all those issues and they had to shut down the streetcars. Um, so I'm just thinking, I think a lot of people are going to be like, that's a long time. Like, why, why did it take so long? And I think we can all agree that there's like a two and a half year period in there that shouldn't count as time um, when everything just sort of stopped making sense. But, um, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's the question is why, why so long? Well, as I mentioned to John, you know, everything in transportation takes forever. I mean, seriously, yeah. transportation planning, transportation projects, um, and I don't know why that is exactly, but that a little bit of the nature of the beast. So I agree with you. I think it's been too long. And but having said that, it sounds it sounds like Mata did not have for a long time uh, the capacity it needed in from a safety perspective, from a technical expertise in trolley and streetcar technology just didn't have that in place. And so when they had to shut the system down, then um, they were kind of at loose ends, not really knowing how to, you know, how to rebuild it successfully. And it sounds like it's taken a while, but they've invested in some of that. And I don't know whether that will increase the speed of the changes, but for sure it um, increases my confidence that matter really knows what it's doing now um, in running this kind of service. So, but we don't know how long it's going to be before this, um, before this Madison Avenue service gets started. I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah. And to be fair, it is a, it is a small part of their overall operation. They've got other things to focus on and, um, other issues for sure. So yeah, I mean, I, 
I think it's fair. But I think the uh, I think the new cars that they're working with now that they're testing, uh, I think they're pretty cool. Uh, you know, if you haven't had a chance that there's a Daily Memphian article and some, some pictures on Twitter of the car. Um, and like Joel was saying, it's the sort of a, a, a different sort of vintage, like the, the, the ones we have now are this 1920s, 30s kind of antique vintage. Um, and this one built between 1968 and 1990. It's more like, to me, it looks kind of like a, a 1970s fire engine. Uh, and it's that color, <laughs> that fire engine red. Uh, and I visually, I find that appealing. I like the, the look of things that are sort of a recent classic look, um, the 80s and 90s. So like I drive a, a 1995 Jeep Cherokee that's just a big blocky rectangle and it's red and it looks like one of these street cars. So, um, well, people, I do think, I mean, it's something as basic as air conditioning. I mean, people don't want to commute on on in a vehicle that doesn't have air conditioning. Yeah. One thing to ride it when you're on vacation, when you're wearing shorts and a tank top, <laughs> but it's different It's different if you're wearing clothes you're going to wear into the office. Yeah. So I agree with you. And sort of circling back to what we were talking about a minute ago, it sounds like we're if, if we purchase these new cars, we're going to get a good deal, but they're going to, because they are older, they're going to require some rehabbing and it's not completely clear how much and how much it's going to cost. So that's delaying the process a little bit. But again, along the theme of incremental progress, I feel like we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, it is. It is progress. And that's better than where we've been. (laughs) So do you, I don't know whether we talked about a song. Did you identify a song? Uh, I, you know, we could go with the, the Judy Garland, the trolley song from meet me in St. Louis, clang, clang, clang with the trolley. (laughs) (laughs) The other one I think about it is also ridiculous is the monorail song from the Simpsons. I don't know if you remember that episode when they, the Springfield makes this impulse purchase of a, a monorail from a, a con man. Um, that, I, I love the Simpsons, but I don't think I've seen that. Oh, you got to see it. Marge versus the monorail is the, is the name of the episode. Uh, okay. Very city planning themed, but no. So I'll suggest to our listeners out there that there's a, so city lab has a Spotify playlist of essential transit tunes. And we can we can link that in the show notes. Really? Yeah. Uh, and there's the first song on their playlist is also one on one of my volumes of songs about cities. It's by an artist called Kemet the Phantom, and it's called Get Out. And it's actually a promo song that was written for uh, the Kansas City streetcar when they when they sort of launched the Kansas City streetcar. So Kemet describes himself as a supporter and user of public transit in Kansas City, and he wanted to create an experiential song that would be about that's about an imaginary rider and kind of puts into song what uh, what downtown and accessible transit mean for Kansas City. So yeah, check that out. Came at the Phantom, get out. Okay, definitely. I'll 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 definitely link to that playlist. Yeah. And um, all right. Well, you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR ninety one point seven FM, and we're talking about transit, specifically the Madison Avenue line. And been talking to Charlie Santo, one of our regular commentators from University of Memphis City and Planning Department. So, Charlie, thanks for coming on. You bet. Thank you.